Amen. Let's give our band another round of applause just for Just for, for leading us in worship, inviting the Holy Spirit into this place. Uh, it's easy to preach now. Amen. Um, listen, we're beginning a new sermon series called Tug of War. And this is our relationship series. And so I invite you to really reflect and think about the uh, significant relationships that you have in your life and what that might mean, uh, what that might mean for you. Uh, and so as we begin, I just want to leave you with a title this morning. Um, about the tension, the tension, the subtitle, this could get messy, this could get messy, the tension, this could get messy. Listen, how about you just remind somebody around you, this could get messy. <laughs> God, we are forever grateful for the many ways that you move. My prayer today that even as the word goes out, it shall not come back void. Why you use us in so many ways, we will never know, but we're just so grateful to be a part of what you're already doing in this space and what you're already doing in the world. And so I pray that um, even as we talk about relationships, that we are also reminded of our relationship with you, your relationship with us. And so God, bless us now. Uh, as the word goes out. In your name we pray, amen, amen. The tug of war, today we're, today we're just talking about the tension. Talking about the tension. So let's, let's did anybody watch the IU and Purdue game yesterday? Well, I didn't, I didn't, I did not watch the game. But I'm sure, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was a good game. Don't judge me. I am a Michigan, a Michigan State fan. I'm sure. Man. Talk about an inclusive, non-judgmental space. Wow, wow, wow. I'm going to check your mission statement again. So I'm, listen, listen, I'm sure, I'm sure it was a good game. Uh, I'm sure it was. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. However, I did watch people who watched the game. Does that make sense? Right. In fact, so one of my kids, uh, we went to the indoor soccer game, and when I first walked in, there was a sea of people, right? Sea of people around the um, TV screens uh, inside of this uh, indoor stadium. And I didn't even know who was playing. I didn't know who was playing, uh, but I knew it was important to them. I knew it was important to them. I mean, they were, they were glued to the screen. In fact, there was more people, true story, there was more people watching the game on the screen than there was watching their kids play soccer, <laughs> right? So, so there, was a, there was one sea of people in black and gold, and then there was another sea of people in red and white. And from where I was sitting in the stands watching my kid, right, I couldn't see the game on the TV. I could just see their reactions watching it. And something would happen, and then the, uh, these people uh, that were wearing the black and gold, they would scream, and they would clap their hands, and then the people in the 
red and the white, they will scream and clap their hands. Let me remind you again, this is while the youth soccer game is going on, right? And it's getting really tense going back and forth, and you could feel the tension uh, in the air, but you could feel that something was off because the people in black and gold started getting a little quiet, and they looked, they looked, listen, I'm just telling you what I saw. No, no, right? They, they looked a little worried, and their cheers turned to nervous banter as if their team was losing, and the people in red started cheering even louder, and then at one point, the people in the black and gold threw their hands up, let out a loud sigh, and started walking away from the screen. I'm just telling you what I saw. And in that moment, you could, you could feel the tension in the air and all the people crowding around to watch it. But what you saw, what you saw in that moment is a consistent sign of human behavior even for myself, because we love watching conflict. It's entertaining, it's fun, it's exciting until you're the one involved in the conflict. Because it's easier to be a spectator when the two sides are going head to head, but it isn't that fun when you're the one that's involved. That's why over these next several weeks, we're doing a three-part series on relationships, and here's why. Because relationships determine so much of who we are. It determines so much of who we become, what we achieve, what God is able to do through us, how we experience our faith, how we grow in our faith. In fact, how we live out our faith has so much to do with how we relate to people. In fact, God moves people or God moves in our lives through people. God speaks to people. In fact, when God wants to bless you in your life, God often does it through people. Much of what God will do in your life, it will involve relationships. And yet, one of the things we are so poorly at doing is relationships. Why? Because most relationships, and hear me, even healthy ones, most relationships, even healthy ones, they're like a game. <laughs> they're like a game of tug of war. It describes this natural and eventual pool of, of opposing forces that exist when people or groups of people are, are, are in relationship. It's the constant pulling of give and take. Doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is, if it's something worth having, there's an aspect of tug of war in the relationship. I mean, it's, it's their expectations pulling against your expectations. Your generational values pulling against their values. Your needs against theirs. Your dreams pulling against theirs. Your ways of communicating against their way of communicating. The way you were raised against theirs. In fact, most arguments with kids is really just a, um, a, a tug of war. It's a child's pool for independence and the parents pool for protection. One co-worker's definition of success against someone else's. The employer the employees need for balance and the job needs for production and the more we pull and the more we pull the greater the tension in fact one of the arguments I remember as a newlywed was over chores 
Who did what and when? I noticed every few days I was washing dishes and it seemed like I was the only one that got the memo. Now, true story, because I can tell this any way I want without any fear of reprisal. So let me tell it like it is. So I wanted to test something. So I started only washing the dishes that I used. <laughs> Listen, I know I'm petty. I said newlywed. I said newlywed. I said newlywed. I'm learning. So I started only washing the dishes that I used, but I noticed that the dishes still kept piling up. And so the tension, the tension kept pulling as the dishes were piling. And so I realized that the problem, I realized the problem was that we grew up with two different kinds of dishwashers. My spouse grew up with the kind where you put dishes into the appliance and you press start. <laughs> My dishwasher wore rubber gloves and had a first and last name, right? It was, it was the constant, the constant pulling. Maybe it's not over dishes, but you've got some relationships where there's some tension that's being developed because there's a, there's a, there's a constant pull of needs and desires and dreams and different perspectives. And for most people, the goal is to pull as hard as we can so that the other person tastes the fear of defeat and comes on our side. But how you handle the tension that results from the constant pull determines the health and stability of any relationship. How you navigate the constant pools in various directions determines whether a relationship is healthy or unhealthy. It determines whether the relationship brings you joy or stress. I mean, many people have severed relationships not because they got mad at the person, but because they were tired of pulling. It's a skill that you got to master because how we live out our faith is largely determined by what we experience. right there in the text. In fact, let me give you a spoiler and just tell you how it ends up. In the next chapter, Jacob and Esau, they reconcile, they embrace, they forgive each other, they patch it up after 20 years, they have a huge argument, go their separate ways, don't talk to each other, but it ends on a good note. I gave you the spoiler alert. You already know how it's going to turn out, and yet we often talk about the power of redemption and the power of forgiveness and the ability to reconcile and forgive, but how do you get there? I mean, we often talk about how great it is that they uh, came to this redemptive moment, but, but, but how, do you, how do you get there in our relationships? And I want to suggest that you don't get there without the tension. Because at the moment, they don't know that things are going to turn out like this. Because before they get to a place of healing, before they get to a place of reconciliation, before they can bury the hatchet, they have to have a really uncomfortable, tense moment. And we learn right from the start, and hear me, healthy relationships are often the result of healthy tension. Somebody say healthy. Healthy relationships are often the result 
of healthy tension. There's, there's no route, and I, I really hate to put it like this, but there is no route to improving your relationships that is totally devoid of tension. I wish I could tell you that you could just pray about it and everything would just magically happen. I wish I could say that, but there's, but there's no route if we're really talking about God improving some of the significant relationships that we're in. It's just hard to do that with the constant pulling of back and forth. It's hard to do that without acknowledging the tension that's already there. I mean, Jacob and Esau have not spoken in 20 years. When they last saw each other, they didn't end on good terms. I mean, Jacob stole Esau's birthright and blessing as the firstborn. Esau is furious. It gets so bad that the mother has to send Jacob away to live with his uncle in fear that Esau was going to kill Jacob. And after 20 years, Jacob is preparing to meet Esau, and he hears that Esau is on his way with 400 of his henchmen, and he gets so nervous that he divides the camp so that Esau can't take everybody out at once. He's nervous and he's scared that he's getting ready for the worst possible scenario. And Esau does not give him any indication of what's on his mind or what's ahead. But what, but what is Jacob to expect when he hears that the brother he stole everything from is going to meet him after 20 years and is coming with 400 people? The natural response is to do what? Okay, you out. The, the, uh, the, the, the natural response is to do what? Absolutely! To run in the opposite direction. There's 400 men coming to him, and he's the one that did Esau wrong. I mean, most of us are trained to avoid the conflict. We tend to ignore those situations that could get messy, and this is one of those situations that could get real messy. But here's the challenge. We avoid the very things that our relationships need. Because healthy, healthy, hear me, healthy doesn't happen by accident. We often suggest that time heals all wounds. And Jacob was a great runner. He was a great hider. And one would think that after 20 years that this would be healed. But maybe that's the problem. In fact, my daughter, I know you was wondering, like, what in the world is this guy doing? Well, well my, my daughter was wearing this boot on her injured foot for about six weeks. Check this story out. She broke her big toe in three places, running up the steps, running from her older brother. <laughs> I told you, there's a constant pull, right? Constant pull. So the doctor wanted her to wear the boot, on, wanted her to wear the boot on the foot because he wanted her to stay off of the injured foot. He wanted to give the foot some rest because, according to him, that as long as it's not getting too much activity, that it will sometimes heal on its own. He didn't want the foot to be in. He didn't want a whole lot of weight on it. And he suggested that with these kinds of injuries, it's best just to give it some rest. It doesn't need surgery. It doesn't need medication. It doesn't need antibiotics. The only thing that it needs to heal is rest. You don't have to mess with it. You don't have to tinker with it. Why? Because the only thing that it needs is rest. All she had to do was stay off of it because all it needs is what? All it needs is rest. So many of us approach our problems and our relationships the same way. 
We think if we can just put a protective boot over some of the issues that we have, that sometimes the issues we believe, that sometimes the issues will heal on its own. If nobody talks about it, it'll heal on its own. If nobody mentions the dishes, they'll wash themselves. <laughs> because our, our fear is what would happen when we expose the tension. And so we would rather just walk around in protective boots, hoping that some of the issues that we deal with every day of our lives will somehow heal on its own. But there are some relational issues that will not just heal with time. Because you can be, hear me, hear me, hear me, because you can be struggling with the same thing for years. And unless you do something about it, it will never heal on its own. Because we put, we, put, we put our problems in these protective places, and yet and yet we are afraid. We are afraid of actually dealing with some of the difficult issues. But hear this, important relationships. Here, important relationships are never ruined by hard and helpful conversations. They're not ruined by helpful and hard conversation. By, temp by temporarily avoiding the tension, I'm only prolonging the possibilities of God reconciling and providing healing in my life. By avoiding the encounter and avoiding the tension, I'm also avoiding the potential of the good that God can ultimately come from when I confront what's hard in my life. That's why the need for connection has to be greater than my fear for conflict. The importance of the relationship that God has brought into my life has to be greater than our fear of tension. For so many people, the thing standing in your way is the willingness to dive into the tension because how these brothers handle the tension would determine the stability of their relationship and so much more. In fact, here's how I know. Because for years, I glossed over why they're actually having this encounter after 20 years. That is, until you hear Jacob's plea and prayer to God. Because within his plea, you hear God's intentions. Listen closely to what Jacob says. Jacob is praying to the Lord. He says, oh God, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, who the Lord, who, oh Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, and I will do you good. You almost, you, you, you missed it there quick. Return to your country and to your kindred, and I will do you good. Some translations say, and I will make you prosper. Let's put this into uh, to context because Jacob has been asked to return to the very place he's left because he's led there by God and God had a plan for Jacob's life that included going back to his home country. And yet his nation would never prosper if the relationship with his brother is not addressed. Because their fractured relationship in the land of his home country has the potential to ruin everything that God was trying to do because it's really hard to develop something vibrant and healthy in a place that's already broken. In some ways, that's the real challenge of our nation as we've gone through this all, just about every few months. I think in some ways it's our feeble attempt to try to build healthy relationships or healthy connections from really broken places that already exist in our society. And the hope is that maybe the problem will go away on its own. 
The goal is maybe if we put certain hard conversations and protective boots and act like they don't exist, maybe they will heal on its own. If we don't talk about it, if we don't address it, then maybe the situations will heal on its own and then we get a situation like we did in Memphis. Because what happened to Tyree Nichols and so many other black men and women that are killed unnecessarily is not something that heals by being left alone. You can put a protective boot over the conversation, but it doesn't mean that it leads to healing. I mean, what's the first thing that many people do when we hear of instances like this? Let's wait for the facts to come out. What was the person's background? Did they run? Why were they running in the first place? Were they under the influence? Why were they in that part of town? Why didn't they just comply? Why were they resisting arrest? But here's what we all must understand is that for many who witness these atrocities, they are repeated signs of brokenness in our country. And the unjustifiable deaths of black and brown people is nothing new. It's part of the history of people in the United States of America. I mean, lynchings are a real part of our nation's history. I think of someone like Emmett Till, a young teenage boy who was brutally murdered in 1955. That's only a generation ago. I think about the beating of Rodney King that was on uh, television that happened in 1991. And here's where I might diverge from some. Because historically, 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 the standard of whether or not black people deserve to die has always been so low. It's almost like you have to have a robust resume, a clean driving record, clean shaving, a great job with two kids, a white picket fence, and never have bad days for the value of your life to be somewhat unjustifiable. And yet in many ways, we keep trying to come to a place of harmony without having the really hard conversations. What we do is we wear protective boots over our conversation with our children and our houses of worship, hoping that as long as we don't mention the hard stuff, as long as we don't talk about the hard stuff, as long as we don't sing or preach, as long as we don't deal with the tension in the room, maybe it'll heal itself. Jacob understood that he couldn't have a prosperous nation unless there was some redemption that happened already. There was no way because God said, I return to your home country, to your land, and, and, and I will make it prosperous. But first you have to reconcile and experience redemption. So watch what happens, and we're closing. Ben, you can just get about ready. Watch what happens because Jacob prays that Esau doesn't kill him. It's a good prayer. <laughs> you ain't got to be a genius. I said, this brother coming after me with 400 people. Lord, I'm just praying. Listen to it. He said, save me. I pray from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers and children. Lord, we, <laughs> Lord, we scared. 
But watch what happens the night before Jacob meets his brother that he hasn't spoken in 200, that he hasn't spoken to in 20 years, the one coming with 400 men, the one who promised to kill him the next time he saw him. Jacob has this infamous encounter with the stranger. We didn't read it in the text, but he has this famous encounter with the stranger. Some say he wrestled with God. Some say he wrestled with the stranger. Some suggest he wrestled with an angel, but the reality is that he wrestled. God does not come to Jacob and remind him of how Esau has changed. God does not say, I've worked this situation out with Esau and Esau is a completely different person. By the time Jacob shows up to meet Esau, Jacob is a different person. Jacob prays to be saved from Esau and the Lord changes him. Jacob has no control over what happened to Esau. He cannot determine how Esau showed up. He cannot control the anger of Esau. He cannot control how he's dealt with his own pain for the last 20 years. He has no control over how Esau would show up the next morning. And it's a reminder that you cannot control how other people respond or pull, but you can always control how healthy you show up. He does not know how Esau is going to respond. But he shows up anyway. Because he invites God into those places of tension in his relationship. It doesn't mean that everything will, will always be perfect. But maybe, maybe the goal now is asking what difficult or tough conversations could God be leading you to have in this season? Because when you leave, it's going to be so easy to wear protective boots. In fact, you've been, you've been sitting next to the person with, 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 with tension for the last hour. You ain't even looked at them. <laughs> but now you got to talk about it. Now you got to talk about the dishes, why they keep piling up. Because on the other side of tension is redemption and possibility and renewed relationships. But you can't be afraid. You can't be afraid of the tension. So let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Because, God, this relationship is so much more important to me. Because there is some unresolved conflict that still lingers. Time has not healed it. I'm afraid of what they'll say. I'm afraid that this might cause more harm than good. But we care about them. We care more about them than I do my own fears. So we risk being rejected. We risk being uncomfortable. So give, give us the courage to wrestle with ourselves. Change us before you change them. Let our relationship with you leak into all of the other relationships that we have. So we invite you to so many spaces before. So today we intentionally invite you into those significant relationships that sometimes feels tense. So help us to do and even heal what we cannot do by ourselves. You did it before, so we know that you'll do it again. In your name we pray. Amen.